Well, good Monday evening. I'm Rick Dancer. Welcome to Get Real with Rick Dancer. Um, hope you've had a great day. Uh, mine has been exhausting. <laughs> um, it's just a wild, wild ride um, when you're when you're doing this. Um, yeah, I don't know what to tell you. It's just been a crazy, crazy, crazy day. Uh, Kathy and I are looking for a house, and so we saw something pop up on the market this morning, uh, just as we were heading into the gym. And uh, so it changed our whole day. Called the realtor, ran off, uh, went down to this town. It's about oh an hour and a half away, and uh, nothing. Well, we don't know. Hey, Gary, how you doing? So we don't know what's going to happen. We just keep looking, and we may make an offer. We may not. We don't know. Um, it's really hard when you live in another place. So um, anyway, tonight's show, we got some great stuff for you. If you're looking for who to vote for for governor. Um, um, I'm not endorsing anybody yet, um, but we've got uh, the Constitution parties. Paul Romero uh, is a very interesting man, and he already won the primary because he has no one following. and He has no one running against him <clears throat> for the Constitution party, but he's going to come on tonight and talk with us a little bit about what's going on. Um, we're also going to take you uh, to Sisters, Oregon. Um, and we're going to give you a little faith, hope, and charity. Um, we're taking you to a vineyard called Faith, Hope, and Charity. I don't know if you uh, guys knew that that was the original names of the three sisters. Uh, they were Faith, Hope, and Charity. And then they got renamed, probably some political correct thing, to three sisters. Uh, so that's what they're known as now. But there's a vineyard that just sits in the shadow of those mountains. Um, it's a really fun place. And we're going to show you that tonight. Um, and, um, and then, of course, we've got Bill London, uh, who will join us with all the day's news. He's going to wrap up the legislative session, uh, show you some of the bills that passed. But that brings up a really interesting conversation. i got to bring this up for you. Just saw this online. And um, so I don't know if you guys remember, but last year, uh, Governor Kate Brown signed a bill into law in September, making Oregon the first state to have a law in the books that doesn't allow uh, a buyer of real estate to write a love letter or a letter, a personal letter to prospective um, sellers or buyers. And they, they can't appeal to the seller to take their offer. Um, and the uh, governor and her friends uh, said that this was giving unfair advantage to people. Well, a federal court judge today uh, blocked that and said that's unconstitutional. You can't do it. Uh, so I'm sure they'll be appealing that and uh, moving on with it. But I find that really funny. It's the only state in the country. Now, here in Montana, what they do is they you can do it. Um, we did it. And uh, our, our realtor said, go ahead and do it. The other realtor wouldn't allow it uh, him to see it. But then he called and asked if he could read it. And we, we sent it to him in email. So you can still do it in other states. Uh, but apparently now you can do that in Oregon, too, because the uh, governor and her legislature got their hands slapped a little bit on that one. So I guess that's kind of what happens. What's, my granddaughter was married there in November on 2019 in the state. Beautiful uh, sisters. Yeah. Oh, at Faith, Hope and Charity. That's yeah, a beautiful vineyard, isn't it? Yeah, it's a great place. We'll have that story coming up a little bit later as well. And uh, let's start off and get our open going and then we'll get right into Bill London. He's got a heck of a newscast for you tonight. Here we go. Who puts up with this? That's what I don't understand. Bring the lion out. Bring the, bring the lion. Um, tonight on our show, we're going to have... Hey guys, don't you think it's kind of fun 
that you get to comment on the news. Yeah, there's a cost. Oh yeah, there's a cost. People come after you. Like, I think that's why this is so much fun is because... I'll see you at five. Good evening from the News Radio, 1120 AM and 93.7 FM, KPNW Studios. I'm Fashion Plate, Bill London, co-host of The Wake Up Call, 6 AM to 9 weekdays, right here on this fine radio station, KPNW. And, uh, you know, a lot of people have asked, so how did, how did you get into radio anyway? Well, I was standing on a street corner with a sign that said, we'll work for beer. Welcome to radio. All right, here's a look at some of the stories we're following. Well, another death from long COVID, and the deceased is the Downtown Corvallis Association. After over 35 years, the group is dissolving after helping create the renaissance, really, of the Downtown Corvallis Corps and the waterfront. In a statement, the Downtown Corvallis Association blamed the pandemic for the development, saying that COVID-19 resulted in the cancellation of most large fundraising events. Membership in the taxing district that helps fund the association also shrank. Why? Because they were shut down and went out of business. That led to another decline in revenue, and so the whole thing folded. The organization offered businesses marketing and networking assistance. They acted as an advocate to City Hall. They held community events to showcase the area, and at this point, Nobody's sure who's going to pick up those duties, so the Corvallis Chamber of Commerce might be able to pick up some of those pieces. And it just goes to show you the far-ranging effects, of course, of the COVID shutdowns that kept us healthy. All right, so on Friday, the legislature said sine die. And sine die is Latin for, we're taking the year off to come up with new ways to screw you. So in that final day, there was a lot of activity and we're gonna kind of run through some of that. Also on the last day, the Oregon legislature approved a bill to spur planning around the impact of a major earthquake on fuel storage along a six mile stretch of the Willamette River in Northwest Portland. It's Senate Bill 1567. Governor Kate Brown will likely sign it and it requires only owners to assess how vulnerable the storage tanks would be if a major earthquake hit off the Oregon coast and what could be done to reduce the risks. Then once they come up with that, you can pretty much figure the legislature is going to tell them, okay, spend a lot of money and do that. And while you're at it, make the, pro the products that you're actually selling more expensive. 90% of all the fuel in Oregon goes through that six mile stretch. And according to the plans, the Department of Environmental Quality is going to come up with rules and a timeline to put safety measures into effect. The bill would also require the Department of Energy to come up with a security plan to prepare for an earthquake, protect communities, and this is interesting, and align Oregon's efforts to reduce greenhouse gases by 90% in 2050. Now, this all came about because of a study that was done by the city of Portland. But what's really interesting is, the question is, why are they doing this now? I mean, there's no doubt that a major earthquake would be a huge environmental disaster. But the state's emergency management office reported this kind of disaster could happen over 15 years ago, and only now the legislature is doing something about it? And the question then is, 
So is the idea to eliminate the storage as part of that green agenda? The Oregon legislature also passed, of course, as you probably well know, a contentious bill to end the long-standing overtime exemption for agricultural workers. House Bill 4002 is now sitting in front of the governor, and it operates to phase out the overtime exemption over the next five years while temporarily providing tax credits to farmers to compensate for the inevitably higher labor costs. And the bill defines agricultural worker broadly applying the term to any individual who performs services in farming in all of its branches, including cultivation and tillage of soil, dairies, the production, cultivation, growing and harvesting of any agricultural or horticultural commodity, the raising of livestock, bees, fur-bearing animals and poultry, and any other practice performed by a farmer or on a farm as an incident to or in conjunction with farming operations, including prep for market, delivery to storage or to market, or delivery to carriers for transportation to market. So this is a lot wider ranging than anyone said, which means the cost to the end user, you, are going to be going up. Well, when it was announced the legislature would have an unexpected $2.5 billion to spend this session, the Democratic-led legislature spent little time doing exactly that. Among new expenditures, $400 million to pay for homeless services and help low-income Oregonians purchase homes. Another $200 million will go to programs connecting minorities to job training, apprenticeships, and education programs to find new jobs. The money will also help remove barriers, according to legislators, felt by historically marginalized groups. The expenditure comes at the request of Governor Brown. Lawmakers also spent $150 million to create summer learning programs and gave extra money to school districts that lost students because of wildfires. And the legislature is going to spend $180 million to send an election year $600 one-time economic impact payment, read it as an election year buy-off, to about a quarter million Oregonians who are at about 200% of the poverty level or less. Majority Democrats in charge also offered Republicans a token of that $2.5 billion, giving them $100 million for money that they could use any way they wanted to. It was a mixed bag for Get Soft on Crime issues this legislative session. Lawmakers did pass Senate Bill 1510, which will prevent police from pulling over drivers because they have a defective taillight, headlights, or brake lights. The bill also forces millions for social services steered toward people of color and tweaks the state's probation and parole system, essentially in that case requiring that getting a job or education cannot be a part of parole or probation. In other words, don't bother bettering yourself. No, really, you're good as a robber. The bill was sold under the pretext of solving racial inequities in the justice system. Opponents said it's not going to cut down on traffic stops. It's just going to allow more unsafe vehicles to remain on Oregon roads. Lawmakers also provided help 
for those who were imprisoned for crimes they didn't commit. Senate Bill 1584 will pay $65,000 for each year a person spent in prison for a crime they can prove they're innocent of, and $25,000 for each year spent on parole or where a person had to register as a sex offender. But a number of high-profile justice proposals did fall short. The legislature punted on a bill that would have released hundreds of criminals convicted of non-unanimous jury verdicts. District attorneys in the state opposed that proposal to allow people convicted on those grounds to seek a new trial, arguing crime victims would once again be traumatized. And other bills that passed, a bill preventing duly elected school boards from firing superintendents for obeying the governor's mandates and creating new restrictions on the board's ability to dismiss a superintendent without cause. Now, they can still do that, but they have to give them a one-year notice. That bill came after school board members in Newburgh and Albany and other towns terminated their superintendents. Lawmakers also solidified plans to protect the Elliott State Forest from logging, made it a misdemeanor to harass an election worker in connection with their job. They also made it easier to register to vote. All you have to do is email the last four digits of your social security number and send an electronic picture of your signature, and it allows third parties, like unions, to register you to vote. What could go wrong there? All right, that's your look at the news. And now it is time for a Monday dose of reality, a big fat heapin' helping from the industrial-sized drum of real with Rick. This is Dr. Michael Brown from Cristano. Too many good people are leaving Oregon. Why? Because people like you and I have sat back for years and allowed these radicals to slowly take control. They have infiltrated every aspect of our lives from school board members to governor. Well, I say this stops now. Let's take back Oregon. Stop talking about change, actually do it. Why? Because if you are like me, I love Oregon and I'm not leaving. Well, I was like you. <laughs> and then I got done. <laughs> I left Oregon. I, you didn't leave my heart, but I left your state. Um, yeah. And you know what, it's not, I, I think it's a good thing to, to talk about a little bit, you know. Um, we didn't leave because we were giving up. <clears throat> we left because I've done this for 30 some years and I think it's going to take a long time to get it back. And I just want some damn peace in my life. And so I can do this from here. I'm living in Montana. Um, it's not the perfect place either. Uh, we got snow coming in tonight and I still don't have a house. <laughs> Kathy and I went to a place today. I'm not going to tell you well, because somebody, I have, there's so many people out here looking in Montana right now, and I don't want you to get my house. Um, but um, there's a lot of people um, dissatisfied and going, and I think it's just, a, it's a time for change, you know, and people are going to have to do something. But Dr. Bratlin really wants to make sure that, but the people that stay there in Oregon are participating. That's apathy is the worst. I've said that my whole career. Um, what I saw is destroy Oregon was not as much um, an ideology as apathy because the ideology was really good at pinpointing how to get the bleeding heart and the message across and making everything sound the right way and people that have common sense sat by and just said who's going to really do that who's going to fall for that and it they took it over 
So I know too many people who are my liberal friends, my independent friends, my Constitution Party friends, who do not buy the current ideology. And I think the good news is the harder they push right now, the more they're losing their message um, because it's falling on deaf ears and it's failed. Um, I think COVID showed us that, that their message has failed. And now the only way they know how to counterbalance that is to attack the messenger. So they attack people like you and me who speak our minds, who do our research and bring out different aspects of a story. And all they can do is reiterate and regurgitate the garbage that they hear in the media and the, the talking points handed to them by a president and his thugs. And they throw it out there and the rest of us aren't buying it. So anyway, I am... Uh, I am thrilled that Dr. Bratlin, uh, we have, in fact, Dr. Bratlin, Michael's going to be on Thursday night. You will really love this show. He's going to come on and we're going to talk about the Back the Blue ads. We're going to talk about, he came out with a new one. I haven't aired it yet. I'll air it on that show. But he's shaming um, people who don't participate and people who are not participating in this and, and using their voice to do things. Um, so he's got a lot of guts. Um, and I think we all need to... Um, uh, do the same kind of thing is use our guts. So speaking of guts, uh, here's a guy um, who is uh, the candidate who is going to win the primary. I can announce that because there's no one running against him. Um, Paul Romero and I sat down last week and talked and and he um, he's an interesting guy and I really like his heart and he has a message for Oregonians. And uh, so you, I, I'm really strong on people listening to people who are running for office. Um, so if anybody out there, they can contact me. And um, I, we, we'd even put any party on here. I don't care. I want to hear what you have to say. and We'll let our audience be, uh, kind of decide what's going on. So uh, let me, let me hit, uh, hit him up. And he is brought to you by New Leaf Hyperbaric Chamber and Wellness Center. And um, we will show you a little bit about that when we come out. Joining me now is Paul Romero, and the reason it says for Oregon governors because he's running for Oregon governor. I got to tell you, Paul, I made up a sign. I did not mean to do this when I ran for Secretary of State. I had a big sign we carried in parades, and it said Rick Dancer, Secretary of State. They forgot to put the four in it, oh. and we'd carry the sign, and people would wave at me like I was the secretary. They'd say, oh, oh. you're your Secretary of State. It was hilarious. But, so tell me, tell me a little bit about who you are, where you come from, and, and all that stuff. Obviously, you've been in Oregon enough time, unlike some of the other candidates who are running on the other side, or one of them. So you've been an Oregonian. So wh where are you from? Uh, I was actually um, from Louisiana. I'm a 100% Cajun. Uh, my family actually moved to Oregon in fifth grade. So yeah. I grew up in, in Pendleton and then Prineville, Oregon, until uh, I graduated in 1984. So uh, Oregon is just a huge part of my life, no question about it. And having seen what Oregon has been and knowing what Oregon is now, well, there's a lot of disparity there and it's time to fix this. So what that's- made you, What made you make this jump? I mean, from what did you do before, Paul? What, what, what's, your, what's your real job? Well, I, um, before I got involved in, in running for office, I was, uh, I was in the Navy uh, as a cryptologic technician communications expert, code breaker, data analyst, and uh, politics just pissed me off. I mean, I just couldn't believe how stupid things were, you know, <laughs> and I'd always be angry and mad and yelling at the TV and, 
And then finally, one day, uh, it was a Congressional District 2 race here in Oregon, and um, I was at a meeting, and they said, you know, we need someone to step up to run against this other candidate. We need somebody who's a who will step up and who's not a career politician. And my attitude was, yeah, we need someone like that, you know. And and then one of my mentors pulled me out in the hallway and said, you know, PJ, uh, you should do this. And, and I was like, no, no, um, I'm not a politician. And he said, that's exactly why you should do this. Right. And I was like, wow, uh, I got to think about this. So I did. And unfortunately, back then, they didn't have a how to run for office for dummies. Because yeah. if I, I would have definitely bought that book. Yeah, I didn't uh, get that class either. Yeah. Now, now I'm going to have to write the book, apparently. <laughs> um, but uh, so that's kind of how it all started. And uh, my first race, I had I think I spent a little over three thousand dollars of my own money. And I, I didn't like asking other people for money. And I ended up with 20% of the vote. Wow. And I had people come at me and go, well, you lost. I'm like, really? I spent $3,000 on 20%. If I would have had another 6,000, I could have won, right? Right. Compared to the hundreds of thousands the other person spent. So I guess, you know, perspective is important here. Um, But I I saw that as an opportunity to to just kind of start learning, right? And that's one of the hardest things for people to do, I think, is that they think that it is so unattainable. Uh, whether it's the legislature or even city council or county commissioner, the fact is these things, these positions are filled by everyday people. Right. And it's within all of us to do these things, but sometimes we have to educate ourselves more or learn more about the law, but it's all possible. Well, and and, and the real power, I think what people forget, not to diss the position of governor, but the real power, if we could get more people in school boards, on city councils, planning commissions, all those, that's where the, the energy is because you can do more to change a small community mm-hmm. by doing those things and then working your way up if you decide you want to, you know? So what do you want to do? Like, what's the first thing you're elected and, and Kate and her friends are off in the corner screaming and crying. Uh, what, what's the first thing that you want to do? Well, um, well, the nice thing about this, you know, we put together the contract with Oregon a long time ago and we've been, fleshing it out, exposing more and more as we get closer to the, the primary elections. And we did this for a reason. Uh, number one, we want to let people know what we're going to do, what our focus is. And with uh, some of the, the basic things that, that people really want here in Oregon, uh, you know, ending critical race theory and all these divisive elements to our public education, this has got to go. Uh, the basic safety and security of all Oregonians. These are the things we're going to address right away. Uh, and, um, you know, audit of elections, we need to know whether we can trust our elections or not. And that includes 2022. You know, I I, I know I'm going to have to steamroll the Dominion efforts here in Oregon. Um, but nonetheless, we still need to expose it for what it is to re- replace it to the public. Um, and then the other thing we're going to do uh, especially here for Oregon, is we need to address this water issue, and we have a, an actual solution for that. So there's there's that a lot. Of, I, I kind of missed that because it, it cut out in the video. Oh, so that. The, uh, the the water issues here in Oregon are pretty significant, okay. and they've not really been addressed. And in addition, they've been like pumping fresh water out to the oceans and bypassing farmers. Matter of fact, the Bureau of Reclamation who used to be the big proponent to make sure people had the water they needed. They've in fact been working, doing the exact opposite. So like the Klamath, uh, Klamath Basin, you know, those pumps are basically shut down and shut off, even though there's a state law 
that says that those farmers are supposed to get X amount of acre feet of water, no matter what. Well, the Bureau of Reclamations has just decided arbitrarily that no, they don't. So they're actually violating state law. So, so what like, puts you over the edge to say, <clears throat> I got to try this because, yeah. um, you know, this is, it, it's your home. You're a well, rural Oregonian, which would be really nice to have a governor who is from rural Oregon, since rural Oregon has absolutely no voice in, in politics today, in Oregon anyway. Um, it'd be really great to have somebody like that in there. Well, you know, it's kind of, it, it became, if not me, then who? Um, we, we hope for people to, to rise to the occasion, you know, and, and for me, you know, as a leader in my past and the things I've done, I, I've always understood that the role of a leader wasn't to build followers, okay? The role of a leader is to, to find, identify, and build leaders. And right now here in Oregon, we are in dire need of a lot yeah. of leaders, you know? Yeah. So to me, it's just been an opportunity to take all my life skills and put them to work in a big way. Strategy, uh, ideas on, on all the different issues, uh, being kind of creative, uh, but I'm also a bit of a pragmatist, a uh, problem solver type of guy anyway. So too many times we have people that are just politicians. We need project managers. We need pragmatists is what we really need. Uh, because think about it, a project manager, you come into a situation, it may be ugly, bad, whatever, and then you have an end result where you want to be. And then you're, you're told, okay, here's your budget. Here's your time frame. Make it happen. Keep it within the boundaries of the law. And that's what you do. There is no, oh, we failed. Oh, well, <laughs> we'll just throw some more money at it. No, a project manager is actually really responsible for what they're doing start to finish. And they're responsible to figure out the shortcuts and, and uh, uh, be creative and on their feet to make adjustments as needed. And I think that in state government or federal government, you really need people that are more in tune to that than to just go in there and promise hope and change without any substance. So part of our contract with Oregon has been to give Oregonians real substance from a candidate so they truly know where we stand and what we're going to do. But it doesn't address the, the middle ground. It addresses the common ground, and it's on the basis of the Constitution. So so, so what do you do in Oregon since um, – and I, I kind of hate this question, but you kind of have to ask it. It's, you know, there hasn't been a Republican governor since Vicatia. And I was a child. <laughs> I'm an old guy. <laughs> no, come on. You know? And I mean, the, the first Republican in, to elected office in, in the in the branch there uh, was Dennis Richardson a few years ago. But that it's been a it, it's a tough it's a tough road. I've been there, and the, the you know there's so many people in Oregon who just vote party, and the D's own Oregon. And how do you yeah. how, how do you get past that? Well, the numbers have, you know, I, I projected this out and it's coming to pass. The, uh, the Democrats are on the same trend that the Republican Party is. And in the 2020 election, they were running 36% of the voter base, while Republicans were at 26%. And uh, the last numbers that came out in January had the Democrat Party at 28%. Wow. That's a 22% loss in 13 months. Why? Nobody, the, the Democrats who became NAVs, they left the Democrat Party because of the socialist ideology they've been adopting, okay? 
And now they're starting to realize just how bad it's been under Democrats and they're leaving. I mean, in droves. And then the Republicans have dropped from 26 to 24% in the same period of time. So they're starting to plateau out. But what you see is you have, what, 43%. It went from 32 to 43% non-affiliated voters. Yeah, Voters are fed up with politicians. Right. The, the go-along to get-along rhino Republicans, the social ideology Democrats, they're fed up with it. And uh, for me, as a Constitution Party candidate, it made absolute sense to make this move. Uh, and because that's where I've always been. I've always been a constitutional conservative well, Republican. Why? Because I had to be in at least one of the two major parties. Right. We're seeing, I think a, there's a poll done nationwide where 61% of the population felt that there should be a solid third party. And what we're offering is exactly that under the, the auspices of the contract with Oregon. Yeah, it's the last time I looked on the, and I think part of this is, uh, I, I think it's kind of funny, my own interpretation is that, uh, you know, Governor Brown got all this pass so motor voter, when you go in to register to vote or to get a driver's license, um, they also register you. And I think what has happened is a lot of people have gone in, they said, do you want to be a D or an R? And they go in, nah. So they're a non-affiliate. The non-affiliates are huge. They're, they're surpassing everyone. So yeah. I think it's partly that, but I think it's also Brown kind of burned your buns by doing the wrong well, thing. I mean, you, if you force people to do something, <clears throat> you know, I, I, I get the idea, but, you know, now they're just going to go, okay, are those people really participating? Me personally, I don't want anybody voting who doesn't care, who doesn't want to, and who does not do their homework. The attitude now seems to be just that everybody just vote. No, there's some dangerous voters out there that just go, oh, he's got good hair. <laughs> Oh, she seems nice. You know, it's like, and then what we end up with is what we have now, of, of, you know, and, and we need to be picking candidates who, you know, who we understand and we see where they're going and what they believe in. Right. And, well, and I think, you know, not just, just getting people to vote to, for the voting sake doesn't work. That's you know, you know um, I, I like an educated voter base. And that's what I spend a lot of time doing is just educating the voters. I want them to know the truth. If they know the truth, I think they're more inclined to prevent themselves from being put in a position to vote between the lesser of two evils, right? I think we're all sick and tired of that. Wait. And too many candidates have too many skeletons in their closets. I mean, I'm stunned by how many of them are actually running for office when they have no business doing so. They're already compromised. Right. And that people act like it doesn't matter. <laughs> well, what's funny is all the people I talk to, all the voters I talk to, oh, it matters. They're not right. happy about it because they know that it sets them up to lose in the general. You know, just because they make it through the primary doesn't mean you're going to make it through the general. And, you know, for me, with, with the Democrat side, it's going to be pretty easy. It's pretty much just say no to Kate Brown 2.0. Oh, my God. You know, right. we can't we can't afford another Democrat. I don't care if it's a Democrat independent. I don't care if it's a Democrat Republican or Democrat Democrat. It doesn't matter. And right now, what I'm kind of projecting is that's what's going to happen. It'll be me running against three Democrats in the general. This is kind of part of their plan. They were trying to overcome what I was doing and in the process didn't realize what I was doing. And well, yeah, because if you're in the Constitution Party, you do you have anybody running against you? You don't do you? No. No. So it's just, so you're going to win no matter what the primary. Right. That's kind of how it was when I ran for secretary of state. I no. waited to the last second to make sure no, because they would have never passed me through the Republican party. I'm too middle of the road for them. I was a rhino to them, but they had to, they had to elect me. Know. You know, I was, 
I would never call you a rhino, Rick. I'm sorry. You, I know. Uh, I, Lars Larson used to call me a rhino all the time, and I'm like, well, I didn't Lars, even know. Is, Lars is more of a rhino. I to tell you the truth, when they first said it, I had to go look it up online. I didn't know what the hell it meant. Yeah. I was like, I mean, I was so politically naive about this stuff. But so, Paul, I, give us one last thing, and like, why people, why you think the Constitution Party, why you think you together, give me a kind of a wrap up of why people. Well, one uh, of the things yeah. is this is. You know, we have too many politicians that literally cannot relate to the public at large in any significant way. Okay. They've led lives of privilege, whatever. I've worked my entire life. Okay. I have been through the fiery hoops of life. I know what it's like. I've been a single parent. I've been on food stamps. I've, I've been through hard times of my life and I've just kept plugging away at it, you know? And for me, that ability to relate to a wide variety of people, is what really gives me the, the fundamental basis for representing them in office. Uh, then the whole history, my whole history, whether it's education, military, uh, project management, that ability to, to kind of rise above whatever the issues and find a way to overcome and adapt. Those are key things here. And you have to be open to the possibilities. It may not always be the answer you want, but if that's the answer it's got to be, you got to be able to detail it out. So for me, the communication aspect, the contact, uh, and, and I'm going to have that contact from start to finish. That, that's just who I've been and who I am going to be. Um, but fundamentally, it's about the Constitution and civil rights and enforcing those. And when we do that, we can lift all boats. And here in Oregon, they're going to see that. Paul Romero for Oregon Governor, thank you for joining us. I appreciate your time. Um, and we will talk with you soon. Well, we, we know um, this guy's already the winner of the primary. That's a nice way to go in. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you, well, we had a strategy to, to defeat Dominion, and uh, we're not done yet. So uh, all right, we know all that right. Dominion's still locked in like a tick on a hound dog here in Oregon. All right, Paul, thank you so much for joining. Carl uh, over there at New Leaf Hyperbarics and Wellness Center. Um, if you haven't been over to visit, what the hell are you waiting for? Um, I'm gonna, what happened to the feed? Oh, Tony, it's here. We're, we're, we're there. Sometimes we just don't get things right at, this, at the right time. Okay, so um, last two summers ago, I think it was two summers ago, Kathy and I discovered a new winery. And uh, the owners hired us to come over and shoot a story on them. And, and uh, so I hope this last story gives you a little faith, uh, a little hope, and a lot of charity. Andy Grossman, I own Faith, Hope, and Charity Vineyards, Faith, Hope, and Charity Winery, and Faith, Hope, and Charity Events. Uh, in 2000, we retired and moved out from the Midwest, and I was a general contractor there. We moved out and thought we were looking for 20 acres and ended up buying 312 acres here in Lower Valley. I was very, very early, one of the earliest of women contractors, and people said, you know, that's 
you're not going to want to do that. I design all my own that I build, and this one was truly a just labor of love because I knew I was going to live upstairs. This building is um, unique. It was uh, modeled after 1700s rounded roof tea barn from Germany. When I look at our valley, I see Germany. I see the, the ridges, the hills, the valleys, and so my architecture kind of fits that with the window boxes and the flowers and everything that I saw in Germany that I loved. Right now, operate out of the white barn, which everybody, um, that's kind of one of our icons. People know when they see that barn, that's an ad for Faith, Hope, and Charity. After studying the climate here, our days of sunshine and so on, uh, we decided to put in cold hardy um, grapes. First we planted in 2010 the vines and then 2011 opened the tasting room. Our largest harvest is a little over 16 ton on this acreage. People have really accepted the wine. It's winning awards on many, many levels. These specifically because they just won uh, the Sunset Magazine's international competition. These are all our cold hardies that grow right out here in our vineyard. If you go out into the vineyard, you'll see that we have frost protection sprinklers at the top of our posts. That is, and we have a weather station, and so when our temperatures hit 38 degrees, we are alarmed by the weather station to get up, turn on Big Bertha, our big irrigation system, and cover the vineyard with water and then at 32 degrees that water goes through the physical change from liquid to solid creates heat and protects the bud or the fruit right now we are building an event center right across the grass from the barn that event center is drawn but uh, we haven't started construction on it yet we're at the county level but it will be up for the um, winter months so that we can bring our people inside and we can be COVID compliant. We are also working on down in the canyon for our frost protection, we are putting in a large reservoir. Next to that, as we're excavating that, we will be putting in, um, we're very music and event driven and we will be putting in an amphitheater. Our tasting room is open from 12 to 5 every day. And then in the summer months, we have music on Thursday nights, Friday nights, and Saturday nights. And then we have praise music at 11.30 on Sundays. So that's our music. We also do um, events anywhere from bachelorette parties and family reunions and uh, weddings, corporate events, um, Christmas parties. We're very, very event driven. And we do that because that sells wine. And we have wood-fired pizzas, salads, appetizers, and dessert. I don't really think there's anything you can't do. It is a dream and I thank him every morning and every night that I get to live it. And it's a beautiful vineyard, and it really is a lot of fun. Kathy and I had a great time. We were over there. Matt Kendall, thank you so much uh, for posting that uh, email or the website on there so people could find out more about it. Um, so one last thing I wanted to show you. Um, in Montana, one of the things they do that you don't hear a lot about in Oregon is they mine. So this is ore, 
and let me look at this thing, see if I can get it so you can see it. What they mine for is, I have to look, platinum and palladium. And if you look on there, see the gold, like the little gold sections? That's the platinum and the palladium. And so why is that so important? Well, because there's only one place in the United States you can mine for this, and that's Montana. And the big mine is uh, right here in, it goes from Big Timber, which is not far from Livingston, Montana, and it goes all the way over to Red Lodge. And so um, men and women um, who are miners uh, get up every morning, they go drive all the way up out there, go down, the guy's showing me video at the gym. I met this guy at the gym who gave me that. And um, he said, uh, he tells me all the stories, but he shows they have tunnels. You get on a train when you first get there. And unfortunately, they won't let video cameras go down. They're like mine. But I may get some video from him anyway. But you get on these trains and you go down into a, like three miles into a central location. And then from there, you get in Toyota Tacoma pickups and they go driving to all these mining areas. And then they go out and, and mine for this palladium and platinum. And what is it used for? It's mostly in computers. Um, catalytic converters, um, things like that. So without this, uh, we wouldn't be here doing this. And yet there's so many people today who are anti-mining, and yet they don't even know that the very thing they're anti is what's fueling their computer or making their car uh, run or a number of other things. This is where we as people in the United States need to start thinking about each other. Um, when you start banning things like mining, um, oh, another one might be um, oil drilling. Well, it all sounds really good. It makes you feel so environmental and touchy-feely. But in the end, you're using that product. And that product is putting people to work and putting people's jobs out there. So when we don't understand something and then we're against it. Like in Oregon, this happens with the timber industry, the fishing industry, uh, ranching, uh, people that are think they're doing the right thing and go out and blab and push and create legislation that destroys these industries and makes it very hard for these people to do their job. Maybe what you might wanna do is go out and first learn something about what it is and then go talk to the people who do those jobs when you get out in rural America and find out what these people are like and you realize these are the salt of the earth. And so you might, this rock may be more in your head than it is in the mountain. And you might wanna think about other people and do a little bit more research while you're at it. All right, tomorrow night, <clears throat> that's my opinion piece for the night. Tomorrow we have Elements of a Healthy Life and uh, Elements Health Clubs of Lane County will be with us. We'll have another great feature from some of the past. And we'll also have some folks on from there. And Kim will be here, Kim Stark, to talk to you about how to live a more healthy life. And again, later this week, um, actually on Wednesday, I'm going to have um, Matt Hill, who is the director of Ashes of Archie Creek. He created a, a, um, a documentary on the Archie Creek fire. And he actually works for the Douglas County Timber Companies. And uh, they put this together and it's really cool. And he's gonna be on here to talk about it. And then on Thursday, it'll be Dr. Michael Bratlin here uh, to talk about you as well. 
uh, talk about it as well. Uh, he might talk about you too. All right, have a good night. Share this on your page. Let other people know what's going on. It really does help when you share it because um, Facebook likes to throttle me back because I'm getting too many people for them and they don't like my content sometimes. So you push out my contact for me and I'd really appreciate it. All right, have a great night and we'll see you guys tomorrow at five o'clock. Your time.